This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com. Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. Page 309. So after we learned the other week, he explained the level of the world to come, the future, the time of the resurrection, when God's transcendent self will be revealed. And that's when the souls will return to this world to receive their ultimate reward. But first, they must go through the Garden of Eden. First, they must go through the level of the soul in the afterlife. So now he's going to explain why first they must, if the, if the ultimate goal is this world, if the ultimate goal is the physical, and the, which comes as a result of the mitzvah, of the good deed, which is the physical, then you can skip through all the preliminaries. Why don't you go straight to the ultimate rewards? You do the mitzvah and then you should immediately go to the world of resurrection, the time when God's transcendent self will be revealed in this physical world. So he explains now, no, first we have to go through the process of the Garden of Eden, and only then does the soul move on to the world of resurrection. But it is impossible to attain this level of being of being able to absorb the transcendent light of Soviet Kalalman until one has first been incarnated to apprehend the degree of the supernal Chachma, each according to his measure. For as explained earlier, the lesser divine light that radiates in Ganadin is received by each soul according to its own particular degree. The Rebbe Shlita adds here that the soul will then rise at the time of the resurrection of the dead through the dew of the Torah, for as our sages teach, Whoever engages in the study of the Torah, the dew of Torah revives him at the time of the resurrection. The verse upon which our sages base this teaching reads, Your dead shall be resurrected, those who lie in the dust shall awaken and sing joyful praises, for the dew of lights shall be your dew. It is thus clear that the revival effected by the dew of the Torah refers to the resurrection of the dead. The Rebbe Shlita adds, Thereafter, when you will awaken, it, i.e. the Torah, will cause you to speak, and this promise, as expounded in Avot, refers to the time of the world to come. This will suffice for the discerner. What he's saying, very, very briefly, we learned earlier that there's two types of lights, two types of revelations of godliness. One is a light that's received and absorbed by the vessel, it's received by the vessel, it's the indwelling light. That's a light that's limited, that engages, encloses itself, engages, involves in the particular and in the individual. 
And then there's God's infinite self, His intimate self. It cannot be contained in any vessel. It's inherently transcendent and infinite. And it's not limited to anything outside itself. It's just a self-expression, expression of God Himself, God's intimate self, His will, we call His crown, His transcendent self. And no matter how evolved we are, no matter how sensitive we are, no matter what level of consciousness we can receive, even the highest worlds are, by definition, we're vessels, we're finite, we're limited. So we can only receive a limited light, a light that's limited and concentrated, but we cannot possibly receive the infinite, the transcendent, God Himself. Only in this world where God reveals himself in the physical, in the end, in the physical, in the most simple, that's where God reveals his intimate self. But when during the time of the resurrection, you're going to have a combination of both. That the person will receive and absorb God's infinite light. That we will personally experience God's infinite light. And we will become so unified with it that we will be called holy and transcendent. So it's like a paradox. We'll be able to internalize something that's infinite. That's a paradox. There ever was one. How could a finite being consciously internalize and experience something that's inherently infinite and as God into God's intimate self God's transcendent self God's it's a contradiction in terms but that's what's going to happen during the resurrection and that's why first the soul has to go through the garden of Eden the garden of Eden is primarily where the soul studies Torah which is a spiritual pursuit because studying of Torah is something that we internalize, you comprehend, you learn, you study, you, the more you learn, the more you comprehend, the more you enjoy, the more pleasure it gives you, the more you absorb, the deeper you absorb, the more you understand it, the more you grasp it, the more you internalize it, it gives you a greater ecstasy, greater joy. Versus the resurrection will come as a result of the mitzvah, the deed, the physical. And that's why all Jews will have a share in the world to come, because everyone has a mitzvah, not everyone has Torah, but everyone has a mitzvah. And since the mitzvah is is primarily about the physical, the deed, the doing of the mitzvah, the concrete aspect of the mitzvah, the doing, which is what contains and expresses God's intimate self, God's will and God's essence, and that's why it's the physical, only in the physical world, the soul has to come back into the physical world during the resurrection, the soul will be resurrected in order to be able to receive this revelation of God's intimate self, God's transcendent self. But the soul will return back to the body and the soul will be able to receive and experience and and absorb this, this level. So the individual, in other words, the individual will retain their individuality and they'll individually experience God's intimacy. So on one hand, God's intimacy is all-encompassing. 
as he quoted the Mishnah, Kol Yisrael, all the entire Jewish people, from head to toe, everyone will have a shear in the world to come because it's a revelation of God's transcendent self and God's intimate self and there's no difference in higher, lower, greater, smaller. But on the other hand, the level and degree that each and every... But on the other hand, there'll still be distinctions. There'll still be your individuality. Everyone will experience this infinite self based on whatever sensitivities and whatever refinement or whatever level of understanding Torah they've earned and developed over the course of this era, which includes the world, which includes the afterlife, when we're experiencing God's conscious self, so to speak, or God's limited self, or God, the way God fills the world. So when we're during the era of resurrection, we're going to have the ultimate combination that our personality and individuality, we are going to absorb, and we are going to experience something that's inherently infinite and transcendent. So what is done in Ed? Because if what we do now sets our level, what we can learn in Ganeid. And then in Ganeid, you're not really, it's more of a refining process. Oh, Ganeidin, you're advancing. Ganeidin is, is very robust, very active, very vibrant. Ganeidin is when the soul comes alive. The soul advances and grows and daily, and three times a day, and especially every Shabbat and every holiday. It's constantly... But at the, but at the level we achieved here? It's based on the Torah that we achieved here, but it's constantly growing within that studying of Torah, deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper insights and further along and more profound insights and breakthroughs. And that's, and that's what brings the unification of the soul and the body when, when there is a reference. No, so, the, so, the, the more, so the more advanced the soul is, the more aware, the more conscious, the more developed the soul is, that's how much more the soul will appreciate, will appreciate the revelation of God's infinite self. So, the revelation of God's infinite self and intimate self, that's across the board. That's transcendent. That's an equalizer. Everyone will experience God himself. But the level of appreciation and how much will that depends on every soul is different. How much Torah you studied, what levels you've achieved. So you'll be able to appreciate this revelation of God's infinite self. The more individualized, the more sophisticated, the more advanced you are spiritually, the more selfless, egoless, the more deeper you are spiritually, the more you'll be able to appreciate this infinite revelation, this revelation of God's intimate self, transcendence. And that's really the, the ultimate. The ultimate is God does not want to destroy the world. He wants the world as is. Should be able to receive something that's beyond this world. The analogy that's given is, it says a student, takes a student 40 years, a student has to study his master's teachings. Talking about a real master and a real student. Like Einstein teaching a student. Not a regular regular run-of-the-mill teacher and student which... The only difference between the teacher and the student is the teacher studied a little more and has a little more information, but we're talking about a student, a real master and a teacher and a student, which is light years apart. 
And you can study for a thousand years and you'll never be Einstein. You'll never think what Einstein thinks and you'll never come up with what Einstein comes up with. It's just, it's just a whole different level. And by learning and studying and, te- and learning his teachings, by studying, studiously stu- te- learning for 40 years, then finally your mind becomes like the mind of your master. You start thinking like your master. You start seeing the world, approaching every problem, any problem, like any situation, you, you'll look at it from your teacher's lenses, from a different lens, a different perspective, a whole different, way superior, completely on a different level, different category type of thinking. And Now, how do you get to that level? If Einstein would start from day one trying to transmit his understanding and his level, he would completely shatter his students. He would break his students. It's like overwhelming. It's like trying to put the, fit the ocean through a little, a little pipe, through the sink. He'll destroy the whole... It'll be a shattering of the vessels. It's so infinitely times greater than our way of thinking. Our mind is so tiny and puny, we can't even it would just completely overwhelm us. It wouldn't, not only wouldn't it accomplish anything, we wouldn't understand that it would actually destroy us. There were many students who they put into colleges because of politically correct thinking, because of quotas and other things. And they actually destroyed them. They destroyed their minds. They didn't do them any favors. When you take someone who's barely can keep up with an 8th grade level, ninth grade level, and suddenly you put him in, in an Ivy League college, you're not doing him any favors. You may feel good. I'm a liberal, I'm kind. But the one you're helping, you haven't helped him. You've destroyed him. Because they're just overwhelmed, and, and it's, it's just beyond them. So, so what have you accomplished? You haven't done anything. It's, it's completely counterproductive. You've actually destroyed their confidence. Destroyed them for life. You shatter them. You, you break them. So you're not doing them any favors. If you give something too intense, if a person is not ready and can't handle it, you give them something that's too intense and too powerful, it's just going to be a shattering of the vessels. If a person can't handle success and you give them success, you know how many people win the lottery and it destroys them? I mean, win the lottery, it may happen to all of us, but, but if, you're not ready, if you're not ready to receive it, it can destroy you. You're not doing the guy any favors. Sometimes God's biggest punishment is He gives a person success. We look at people and we think, oh, they're successful. You're jealous. Could be the worst punishment. God, if God hates someone, He makes him successful sometimes because He can't handle it and it destroys him. He's not talking to his wife, not talking to his children. His children are suing him. And the, who needs the money? All the money, all the billions in the world are not worth a dime. So if a person can't handle, a person can't receive something, it, it, it's too overwhelming. So in order for Einstein to teach a student, he has to limit himself. He has to radically remove himself from his own way of thinking and get into the mind of a student. And even then, he has to come up with similes and analogies and examples and from the world of a student to communicate his thinking, to communicate his way of thinking and his thinking and his innovation and his revolution. And the student understands it in a very, very simple, in a very small level. 
But contained within these teachings are the seeds of Einstein's original thinking. And if the student diligently and studiously, consistently persists in studying and digesting and absorbing and assimilating his teachers, the teachings, after 40 years of chewing in it and digesting it and immersing himself in it, slowly but surely his mind develops until his mind becomes one with the mind of his master. He starts thinking, begins to think like the thing. Not only does he understand what his, what his teacher has taught him, but on a deeper level, he starts thinking the way his teacher thinks. And anything that will come up, he'll be able to think and look at it, not only understand the, the lim- limited information that his teacher taught him, and he understands it very well because he's been studying it for 40 years, and he can communicate it, but anything that comes up now it changes his whole way of thinking. Now he's starting to think and he's starting to perceive reality and to see things in depth from the, from the inside out, the way his master, the way Einstein sees things. So in a way, his mind like leapfrogs forward and becomes like infinite in comparison to where he came from. And yet he remains the same person as he was. He's not Einstein. He never was Einstein. But here, his finite mind is able to grasp and now is able to leapfrog forward. Forty years later, is able to leapfrog. Retaining his individuality and remaining himself, his mind is now able to receive and absorb this almost infinite or different level type of thinking, which is completely beyond. And if he would have thought for a thousand years, he would never have arrived at that point. Forty years later, because he's been studying and learning, his mind is absorbed and received and digested. And now his mind suddenly starts, becomes unified with the mind of his master. So that's exactly what Hashem has done. That's the process of Ganeden, the whole process of life in this world, and then Ganeden, the Garden of Eden, the afterlife which is all in the frame of reference of a malikalam. It's all this finite, limited frame. We're going from level to level to level. But it's still limited, inherently limited. But, nevertheless, by studying Torah and absorbing the Torah and studying it for all these years and all these different levels and all these different dimensions, as a result, there comes a point when now we leapfrog and now we're able to receive the infinite. But we're able to receive the infinite without being destroyed. In the beginning, if God would have revealed His infinite self, it would have destroyed us, it would have shattered us. There is no world then. There's no differentiation. If all there is is God and God reveals His intimate self, then there is nothing. And all the categorizations and differentiations and individualizations, it all falls by the wayside. There is nothing. It's like a circle. There's no beginning, there's no middle, there's no end. It's infinite. The, the symbol of infinity is a circle. No, where does it begin? Where does it end? There's no beginning, there's no middle. There's no differentiation. All there is is Hashem. The differentiation between one person and another person, individuality and personality and character and all the multitude of multiplicity of existence only exists in the framework of Mamalikalam, the way God fills all the worlds and everyone has its own category and everyone has its own name. Individuality is finite, limited. Everyone is differentiated from the other. But what's going to happen during the era of resurrection, that this finite self will now be able to receive and absorb the infinite. 
and retain your individuality at the same time. It won't destroy us. It won't destroy the world. The world will be able to absorb it. This world is the era of resurrection. That's what he's saying. The resurrection will be in this world. This world is the world of differentiation and multiplicity. This world is a world of individuality, individuation. This world is a world of separation. Finite, the ultimate finite, limited world. And in this world will be the resurrection. We will remain finite, remain physical. And yet, we'll become like infinite. We'll, become, we'll be called holy. We'll become one with the transcendent. The body won't even eat. Says you only have to eat that. The body won't need food for sustenance. But there'll be a body. So it's the ultimate paradox. You're living in a finite body. Individuals, there's you, there's I, that all of that will remain. And yet, we're going to receive and absorb the infant. So that's why God set up the whole world. First we have to go through the world of the Malakalam. We have to go through the world where God fills all the worlds. Where God limited himself and concentrated himself and his energy and his light and his light into this multiplicity, this world of multiple beings and multiple worlds and realities and consciousness and levels. Ad, ad infinitum. It goes on and on. And then the soul will come back into the body and this highly sensitized, developed individual soul being will receive and absorb and experience and appreciate God's in- the revelation of God's infinite self, of God's infinite self. And at the same time retain this individuality. It won't destroy us. That's why if had God started this way, would have, we'd have all been destroyed. They said, there's no world. All there is is God. That's it. And that's where it says, that we say at the end of Ethics of Our Fathers, he quotes the mission in the beginning of Ethics, that we say in the beginning of Ethics of Our Fathers, Kol Yisrael Yishlam Chelek, that we read before from Sanhedrin, but then he quotes at the end of every chapter, we read the, we read the Mishnah from the end of Masech the Makis, the very end of Tractate of Makis in the Mishnah, Hashem wanted to give merit to the Jewish people, that's why he gave them many, many Torah mitzvah, much Torah mitzvah. So what does that mean on a deeper level? simple level is that God gave us so many mitzvot, even things that we're naturally find abhorrent and naturally repulsed by, and yet God made it into a mitzvah, that when we do it because it's a mitzvah, we get added reward. Okay, that's a simple but the deeper level what does it mean God gave us many mitzvot? 613? And if he gave us 118, that would have been that's not many. Why only six? I mean, what, what do you mean God gave us many mitzvot? What it means on a deeper level is because the truth is that there's a common theme behind all the mitzvahs. What's the common theme behind all the mitzvahs? Which makes the mitzvah so precious. What's really the essence of the mitzvah? It's God's will. And he says that's why the mitzvah is the physical, like we learned. Because it's only the physical that can really express God's intimate will, the simple physical deed 
Only that could really express and contain God's intimate self. So if that's the case, why the difference between one mitzvah and the other mitzvah? All the mitzvahs are the same. Why the different categories? This mitzvah and that type of mitzvah. And this mitzvah is connected with your mind. And this mitzvah is connected with your heart. And this mitzvah <coughs> refines your arms. And this mitzvah has this effect. And this mitzvah has the other effect. And this mitzvah you have to have this intention. The other mitzvah you have to have another intention. What? There's one intention. There's a mitzvah. It's divine. It's touching the divine. It's touching God's core, God's essence. And that's it. Does it matter to me? If God would have told me to chop wood, I would do it with the same enthusiasm as lighting a candle, putting on tefillah and giving tzedakah. I mean, it's God's will. What difference does it make? Why this differentiation? That's what the Mishnah is asking. Why did Hashem make so many differentiations and different categories of mitzvahs and differentiations? And every mitzvah you have to have its own unique intent and own unique intention and you have to focus on this aspect and another mitzvah, you have to focus on another aspect. There's only one focus and one thought and one intention. It's God's will, it's divine, it's holy, it's transcendent. Like we say in all the mitzvahs, God sanctified me by doing His mitzvah, by doing His will. I'm becoming intimate with Hashem. That's all that matters. Who cares about everything else? Everything else is completely incidental, secondary, minor, insignificant. So in, in a deeper sense, what Rabbi Hanani ben Akashi is asking, really, I mean, if the ultimate purpose is this physical world, then why create the heavens? And the heavens of heavens, this whole universe of angels and souls and higher levels of consciousness and religion and mysticism and music and art and sublime and the spirituality and worlds and dimensions and... This whole tumult, this whole bureaucracy of existence, this whole spiritual universe, parallel universes, and the soul is going from one level to the next level and is advancing thousands of years. The souls of the patriarchs and Moses is going and advancing and learning deeper. It seems like insignificant, irrelevant. All that matters is, is the deed. So God should have just created the physical world. Do the mitzvah, and God reveals his essence. And you jump straight to the, the world of resurrection where God reveals His essence in this world. Why? Who cares about this whole world of spirituality if all that matters is the deed, the action? And, it's, and the resurrection is a reward for the action. The ultimate reward. That's what he's explaining. He says, no, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. It's, ne- it's a necessity. It's critical. It's essential. Intent. Refinement. Personal refinement. Individual engagement in the mitzvah. Engaging your personality and your character in the mitzvah and working on yourself and refining yourself. And every mitzvah has a certain unique ability to refine a different organ, a different part of you, a different aspect of you. And you have to have that in mind and you have to have that intent. And the mitzvah has to affect every part of your life and the mitzvah has to refine you and change you and elevate you. And That's essential. That's critical. You can't just say, well, it's all, I'm touching God and nothing matters. Who cares about me? Who cares about my personality? Who cares about my, my individuality? It doesn't matter. Intent, spirituality, refinement. Ah, who has time for that? I'm busy doing the deed and nothing else matters. 
study Hasidus, and I have to be refined, and I have to meditate, and I have to pray, and become selfless, and egoless, and sensitive, and deep. Who has time for that? Do the act, get the deed done, nothing else matters. <laughs> he says, no, 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 no. That's an essential ingredient. That's what Rabbi says. Hashem wanted that the Jew should be refined. It should engage your individual self. It has to change you, it has to affect you, it has to move you, it has to inspire you, it has to... God wants your energy, He wants your interest, He wants your caring, He wants your engagement, He wants you. Your personality, your individuality, He wants you fully engaged in the mitzvah. Don't just do it. The deed is not enough, with all due respect, no. Why? Yes, the ultimate is to touch the divine, and the ultimate is to reveal God's essence and God's intimate self. But God wanted His essence to be revealed to us, to us finite beings, that we should appreciate, and we should absorb it, and we should receive it, and we should be sensitive to it. And that's why it depends on the individual. The more refined an individual is, the more Torah you study, the more aware you are, the more you work on yourself. It says when Mashiach will come, you'll be able to tell Every person, if he had one more escafia, if he overcame one more urge than the other person, he'll be ahead of the other person. He'll be more advanced. He'll be able to receive more, be able to appreciate it more. So the individuality will remain. We will retain our individuality. God is not going to... He won't be destroyed. And that's why the Isaiah the prophet says, when Mashiach will come, the knowledge of God will flood the world like the ocean floods the ocean bed. Now the ocean bed, if you look at the ocean, all you see is the water. You don't see anything else. It all looks equal. It all looks the same. Across, you look, it's the same ocean. But if you go underneath the ocean, you look at the ocean bed, there are mountains. There are mountains that are taller than Mount Everest. There are Volcanoes, it's teeming with life. I mean, the ocean is alive. There's so much going on in the ocean. It's very deceptive. You look, all you see is the ocean. So that's what Isaiah is trying to characterize. On one hand, the ocean represents the subconscious or the infinite or the. But on the other hand, the ocean bed will be filled with the waters. Like the, the world will be filled with the knowledge of God. Like the ocean bed is filled with the waters of the ocean. But the ocean bed remains with all its individuality and all its... But at the same time, it's completely flooded, it completely absorbs the ocean and receives the ocean. So it will be that combination. So too the world will retain its individuality. Everyone will retain their sense of self and their sense of individuality and their limited finite way of thinking and understanding and processing and experiencing. But what are we going to experience? What are we going to process? What are we going to sense? The infinite. The in- Hashem's intimate self. The crown. It's the ultimate paradise. That's what Hashem wanted. That's why Hashem made mitzvah. It's not enough just the mitzvah. This is what I want and nothing else matters. No. 
The mitzvah has to engage our mind. The mitzvah has to engage our heart. The mitzvah has to refine us as an individual, has to elevate us, has to inspire us. Because only then could we process and receive and absorb the infinite and internalize the infinite. That's what God wants. We should, the ability when Mashiach will come during the era of the resurrection, the world to come, we're going to have the ability to internalize the infinite. So that's Torah. That's Torah. Torah is internalization. Torah is studying. Torah is processing. Torah is understanding, perceiving. But what are we going to... And that's what we're doing in Gan Eden. That's what the souls are doing in the Garden of Eden for thousands of years in the afterlife. But then the soul is going to graduate. And based on whatever level they've achieved in their life and continued on in the afterlife, in the Garden of Eden, then the soul is going to come back into the resurrection, or the era of resurrection. What are we going to be aware of? What are we going to process? What are we going to experience? The infant. God's intimate self. So that's why we can't reach this level. We can't truly achieve the goal and the purpose Unless first we go through Ganet, we have to go through this. Then without being destroyed, we'll have the ability to retain ourselves and at the same time become one with the infinite. So much so, it will become our name. Like the beautiful story, Russia, when Russia was under communist, Stalinist Russia, it was a curfew at night. Hasidim, once a Hasidic... uh, Hasidic holiday and the Hasidim gathered together and they fabreng and they went past the curfew anyway, they ran out of L'chaim they sent one of the Hasidim to go and buy some uh, L'chaim some vodka to say L'chaim to continue the fabreng he's, he's walking in the street and he's stopped by a police the police says who's going there so he was so Coming from the Fabreng and from the Hasidic gathering where they try to internalize the idea of Ein there's no other reality but God and we're all nullified before God and all there is is godliness and the energy that uh, our whole being is nothing other than the divine energy that's constantly and continuously creating us and therefore our very substance is godliness. So he answered. He said, who's going there? What's your name? So he says, Bittl idiot. Bittl means egolessness is walking. Self-nullification. That's my name. You ask me what my name is. My name is I am nothing. That becomes my name. I have a name. There's an I and I'm answering and I'm telling you. What am I? What is my whole being? What am I all about? Godliness, not me. And that becomes me. I am walking and I have a name. But what is my name? What is my identity? What is my whole being all about? That there is no I. That all there is is Hashem. All there is is God and His infinite self. And that becomes my whole entire being. That's what a God wanted. Lezakis as Israel means to refine the Jew. It's not enough just to do the mitzvah and you disappear and you don't exist. That's not the purpose. The purpose is you do exist and you have a being and you have an entity. But what are you all about? What is your mind all about? And what is your heart all about? And what are your talents and your abilities and your energy and your excitement and everything about you? Every fiber of your being, all 248 limbs and all 365 veins, every aspect of your life becomes permeated with Hashem. That there's nothing else but God. 
That's what God wants. And that's the conclusion of the ethics. We say at the end of Ethics of Fathers, which starts with Kol Yisrael Yeshlem Chelek Loelam Haba, which discusses the world to come. Because when are we going to achieve it in its full? The error of resurrection. You'll have that ultimate marriage, the ultimate paradox. There is an eye, the soul comes back into the body and everyone is an individual body and you have a name. But what are you all about? What is your entire being all about? The infinite, godliness, that there is no eye, all there is is Hashem. That's the ultimate paradox. How do we get there? It's through studying Torah. Not enough just to do the mitzvah, studying Torah and going through the whole process of the Garden of Eden and going from level to level and advancing and and reaching the highest level that we could reach in, in the level of Mamalikalama, God fills all the world, then the vessel will be able to receive, individually receive and absorb this infinite, transcendent self that can't be contained in the vessel. And it's only through Torah. Because Torah, as we learned in chapter 5 in the Tanya, Torah is the ultimate paradox. Your understanding. You're grasping an idea with your limited human mind, but what are you grasping? The infinite. You're grasping something, it's the, the divine mind, which is inherently infinite. So Torah is that ultimate paradox. That's why he says, how are, they, how are they going to be resurrected? The tal Torah, the do of Torah will resurrect them. Because that's the power of Torah, that ultimate paradox, that we retain our individual self, the mitzvah of studying Torah is you have to learn Torah, you have to understand Torah, it has to be logical. Otherwise you cannot make a blessing over the Torah, you have to make sense, you have to understand it, you have to honestly understand it, it has to make sense to you, and you have to break your head until you truly understand it, not just mouth words and repeat words, using your natural mind, your human, logical mind to truly understand the concept, it has to make sense to you, and you have to really work hard until it really, really sinks into your head, until it really makes sense, logical sense to you. But inherently you're studying something that's divine and godly and infinite. And you sense that it's divine and godly. So it's the finite merging with the infinite. It's the finite receiving and absorbing something that's inherently infinite. Simultaneously. So this is the power of Torah to be able to lead us to the resurrection. We will also live out that paradigm. And that's what he finishes. This will suffice for the discerning. He just, he just says it in two, two lines. He doesn't really get into the... But you understand what I'm talking about. And since everyone here is discerning, so I'm sure we all, <laughs> we all understand. Um, okay, now let's go back to, to the beginning, the opening line of this letter. Your commandments are very wide. He asked the question, why does he say your commandment in the singular? And why does he say why? That's an unusual expression. He should have said your commandments are very deep. What do you mean commandments are wide? I mean, and this is the meaning of the verse, and your commandment is very wide. This refers to the precept of charity, which is a vessel of great volume in which the radiation from the infinite and soft light may be invested. As it is written... His garment is staka. In the future, this light will radiate without limit or end with a gratuitous divine kindness elicited by this arousal from below, by the kindness and staka initiated by man, which is called the path of God. 
As mentioned above, even when this divine revelation is granted in response to an arousal from below, it is still considered gratuitous kindness, for it is granted out of all proportion to man's actions. Man's tzedakah is no more than a vessel which enables him to receive the benevolence of this divine revelation. This is God's act of tzedakah. It's gratuitous kindness. This revelation that God will reveal himself, reveal his intimate self and his infinite self and all its glory without any limitation, without any constriction, without any confinement, without any uh, concealment, this is a pure act of tzedakah. There's nothing that we can do to possibly really earn this and deserve this. So it's a pure <coughs> act of gratuitous kindness. But nevertheless, God is interactive and God responds to our tzedakah. When we do tzedakah, God responds and in kind and in the merit of the tzedakah, the merit of the physical tzedakah, the physical writing the check, the physical giving the dollar, the physical helping the person in need, which is the vessel to receive and touches the divine essence, the God's intimate self. So God will respond in kind and do a gratuitous act and reveal His intimate self. And that's why He says how wide it is. That tzedakah is so wide it can receive the infinite. It can trigger the infinite, it can receive the infinite, the God's infinite self. That's why He says ma'oid. Ma'oid means it has no, no limit. And this is the meaning of the term very wide signifying limitlessness and endlessness. Tzedakah acts as an infinitely wide vessel for receiving an infinite degree of godliness. However, at the beginning of the verse quoted above, it is written, to every tichla, literature conclusion, literal, literally conclusion, I have seen an end. That's how the verse reads. To every conclusion I've seen an end. But the, your to mitzvah, your mitzvah is very wide. So what, what's the contrast? The word tichla is related to the term kalot hanefesh, the intense yearning to the point of expiry of the soul in Gan Eden. For it, i.e. the divine light that is yearned for in Gan Eden, does have an end and a limit and undergoes contraction. As mentioned above, this is the radiation of the finite light called the world of Ganeden, the world of the afterlife, the world of the soul, when the soul transcends the body, rises from the body, that's the world where the soul yearns and, in, and is an ecstasy and yearns for godliness and is ecstasy for godliness and basking in Hashem's radiance and experiences indescribable pleasure and ecstasy and yearning for godliness. The soul is expiring from ecstasy. So, and that's what he says, that all these experiences, as great as they are, the easy case, have an end. They're limited. It's finite. It's within the framework of God fills all the worlds. And it's only limited to as much as a finite being, as spiritual and sublime as that being may be, the soul could achieve and experience sublime revelation of godliness. But still, we're limited. How much we can absorb, how much we can experience, how much we can feel, how much we can sense, how much we can understand, comprehend. And even though there's infinite levels, 
but the, the, the greatest level is still within that frame of reference. You can't, you can't go beyond this frame of reference. It's a vessel. So you become a more refined vessel. A more refined vessel could receive more, and then you become even more refined and more refined, and it goes on and on, endless, forever. But it's, it's still a limited vessel, and a limited vessel can only receive a limited light. As to the term to every kind of tikkun, when the verse is alluding only to the yearning of souls in Gan Eden, this is used because there are numerous levels and the rungs of Gan Eden, one higher than the other, to the topmost of levels. As is written in the Pashas by R. Isaac Luria of Blessed Memory, in explanation of the teaching of our sages, of blessed memory. Torah scholars have no rest in this world, nor in the next, because they are constantly rising from level to level in their grasp of the Torah, which has no end, until after the resurrection, when they will have rest, for that time will be a day which is entirely Shabbat and rest. At that time, there will be revealed a radiance from God's essence that utterly transcends levels. Elevation from level to level will thus be not only impossible, but also unnecessary. At that time, mortal souls will finally find repose as they delight in the radiance of God's essence. So as long as we're like trapped in the, in the world of God fills all the worlds, in the finite, limited world, no matter how sublime and exalted, the soul is restless. The soul is not at peace. The soul is not at home. It's constantly striving and yearning to go from one level to the next level. It's constantly, because it's, it's, it's just a little peace. It's, it's inherently disconnected and distorted and limited, a glimmer of a ray of Hashem's light, the soul yearns to come home, to go to the source, and he can never achieve it. The closer you get, the more you realize how distant you are and how far you are, and how Hashem is completely transcendent, so you yearn even more, and yearning is even more intense. And with every breakthrough, it just leads to more heartache and more yearning and it's endless and it's constantly restless. That's why he says the righteous people have no rest. You think once they, they pass on, now they can retire. They're at peace. There's no rest. They're restless. In a positive way, they're restless. Constantly yearning and aspiring and because only when will they achieve rest? When will they come home? Only during the time of resurrection when the soul comes back to the body. Now you're touching the divine essence. Now you're, God will reveal His essence and reveal His intimate self and His infinite self and transcendent self. It cannot be contained in any vessel or vehicle. Any. Then, for the first time, the soul will be at rest. The soul will feel at home. The soul will come back home. Come back to its essence, to its root, to its essence. Now, it doesn't mean that during the time of resurrection we're going to stagnate. Whatever, however dynamic life is today, we can't even imagine how dynamic life will be in the time of resurrection. 
but it's going to be a whole different order. It's going to be a whole different... So it doesn't mean that then we're all going to go to sleep and we're going to, we're going to die. That's when we'll truly come back to life. But right now we can't even relate to it. We don't even know what it means because we're, we're stuck and limited in this very finite frame of reference. And even though we've been advancing within this frame of reference for thousands of years, we haven't even scratched the surface. And it's, it's really, we still remain on the outside, so to speak. He's still on the outside, looking in. During the time of resurrection, for the first time, we'll be from the inside looking out. God will take us in, reveal himself. We'll be at home. There'll be Shabbos. There'll be a day of true pleasure, a day of rest, a day of completion, a day of wholeness. Of course, that's when life really begins, and that's when life truly is dynamic. But it's like Shabbos. Shabbos is not a day of vegetation. Shabbat is not a day of vegetation. Shabbos is the most dynamic day of all. It's the most active day of all. But it's a different order. Shabbos is a day of pleasure. It's, it's everything you do on Shabbos. It's pleasure. It's, 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 it's dynamic and vibrant in the most positive way. So it's a whole different... So that will be a whole different... Uh, but that's not what he's discussing now he's just explaining the verse of the whole tichla King David says that all these yearnings and all these levels which could be ad infinitum it could be so many different levels all of these levels have an end it's limited but the mitzvah through the mitzvah of tzedakah and in a broader sense all of the physical mitzvah rechava why? Ma'oy, there is no end, there is no limit. Because this is the vessel to receive God's infinite self, God's intimate self, which will be revealed during the time of the resurrection. Souls will leave the Garden of Eden and come back into the body. And only in the body, in the physical world, will be able to receive and experience the infinite. God's holy soul. It's one of the most powerful, profound letters, and you get it to, it seems like we say it at the end of every letter, but it seems to be getting better and better. Every letter is, we're advancing. Every letter builds on the previous. Obviously, there's a reason, there's an order why the sons of the Alter Rebbe chose this order. But um, the plot thickens. With every letter, the plot thickens. A deeper level, a deeper level. So please, God, next week we're going to start letter number Chai, number 18. So you can imagine if this is Chai, you can imagine how special this letter is. So please invite yourselves, invite your friends, your neighbors to join us next Tuesday. And we can't wait to start the next letter. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.